I'll try that again. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is August the 28th. We don't often do this as a group. We don't often read scripture aloud together, but this Sunday just lent so well to that, and it just happens to have the whole scripture in our hymnals ready for us. So I did not put these up on the screen because it's a lot of words, and I thought it would be Made more sense to do it this way at a certain point. So I invite you to turn to 807 in the back of your hymnal. Um, and I invite you to stand as you feel able to join in reading this. You, you will respond in the bolded sections. God spoke all these words, saying... I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourselves an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in the earth above, or in the earth below, or in the waters under the earth. You shall, not bow, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for your Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses it. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, sea, and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days might, may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear witness, false witness, against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male, or female, slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We'll speak this all together. The Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, You have seen for yourself that I have spoke with you from heaven to every place where I cause my name to be remembered. I will come to you and bless you. Blessed is the word. Amen. In English, we call it the law. And it refers to two different things in the Bible. It refers to the first five books of the Bible. That is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But it also refers to the 613 rules, starting in Exodus 20, that lay out what it means to be a follower of God in the ancient uh, Israelite faith. 
Now, the word law is maybe, it is a good translation. It's also one that we always have to kind of step back and go, as with any word from ancient Hebrew or Greek, they have to go, wait, what does it fully mean? Well, it also, it comes from the root that means teach or to guide. So when we talk about the, the Bible, there's probably not many of you who, who call it their rule book. You probably call it, it's my, it's my guide to life. It's my, uh, it's like a textbook that gives me the right way to get from here to there. It's a map. We don't often call it the rule book or our book of law. And I will note that, uh, that doing so with scripture, calling it a law book, a rule book, is one of the things that kind of annoyed Jesus with the Pharisees when they made it a book of black and white rules. Anyway, the Torah itself approaches these, teach approaches these as teachings, not simply rules. If it was simply rules, then, you know, when we'd open up the books, we'd get just a bunch of rules. Instead, it's a series of rules broken up by stories showing how the people interacted and more often than not broke them. Sorry. Yeah, broke them. So let us approach these rules, these commandments that we're going to especially look at the same way that we might look at the New Testament teachings. Something not quite as draconian as we usually make them. Something that, that has a little wiggle room that comes from a time and place, but still very much alive in today's world. Now, as we dip these our toes into these scriptures, you may have this nagging feeling that something is a little off. It's not often we do Old Testament as the center of our worships. After all, did we not just finish the letter to the Romans in which Paul characterized the Torah as being problematic? Yes, we did. Though that's not exactly what Paul said. What Paul said is that the law was perfect, but we humans are not. And though the law points us to a perfect God-centric life, we humans are unable to do that ourselves, and that's why we needed Jesus. The Torah itself is not wrong. It is a gift from God. It was a gift to the ancient Hebrews. It is a gift to us. And we, incapable to follow it, still do our best. Now, we're not doing this because of Paul. We're doing it because of Jesus. Because Jesus and his new way of living is firmly, uh, has its foundations firmly in the bedrock of the Torah. Jesus' ministry is just chock full of quotations from the Torah's law as well as the prophets and the histories. I mean, just think about the way you learn about history in the United States. You don't just learn you know, starting in 1776. You learn history about the native peoples who were here before. You learn about the colonists. You learn some history about England and Rome and Greece, just to name a few. To fully understand the ministry of 
uh, that grew into Christianity, we have to understand something of Jew Jesus's Jewish faith, that of the ancient Israelites. And so we start with that. And we start actually with a prayer called the Shema. The Shema is a prayer typically told, um, recited twice in Judaism, um, twice by uh, devout Jewish followers um, every day, quietly to oneself. You actually are supposed to say the first part and then say the rest with your hands over your eyes. You'll recognize this as it's all from Scripture. I'm going to be reading just the first part from Deuteronomy 6, but it also includes parts from Deuteronomy 11 and 15. Goes as such. Hear, O God, the Lord our hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be in on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your forehead. Write them on your door frames, on your houses, on your, on your gates. And so, let us look at this. Let us look at this Torah, at this law. We do not engage fully in, with, in it as Christians. We aren't commanded to. That was something decided by the first Christian council. I can tell you, I am sure I am up here breaking rule, uh, say Leviticus 19.19. I've probably got at least some elements on me that are synthetic, some elements that are linen, and some elements that are cotton. And you're not supposed to mix cloths. Leviticus 19.19. Uh, was it uh, Numbers 20-something? So it's about tying tassels to the corners of all your clothes. Again, I'm breaking rules up here. That's okay. But there's still a lot we want, we need to pay attention to. A lot that makes sense for us. Starting with that, that opening of the Shema, Shema, that greatest commandment that Jesus later calls out to love the Lord. We fail to understand how to do that as a people, though. Not just us, every person who has encountered this golden rule of loving the Lord. Well, the golden rule is loving your neighbors and yourself. It's like the platinum rule, the love of the Lord. We fail to understand that, so God has to make it simpler for us. So he starts naming out ways, like loving your neighbor. How do you love God? You love your neighbor. Well, when God actually first comes to it, he gives out ten rules, ten pillars of faith that will create a society. If everyone follows these perfectly, you are creating a society that reflects the love of God in a real-world way. They help us understand our relationship with one another, our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves. We call these the Ten Commandments. Or in Hebrew, I'll butcher this for a second, Eseret Hadabrat. Or as I prefer Greek, the Decalogue, which literally means 10 words. They lay out the basic rubric on which we may ask questions of morality. We ask what is right, what is wrong, as we try to find our path to God. 
And the first is this. You shall have no other gods before me. Simple, right? Of course, it's not simple. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing a sermon on it. Simple means we already got it. It ain't. So let's start with a little Bible study. If you're reading this in a reputable translation, you should have a little translator's note right after the word before. That's one of those little things where you have like parentheses around a number or a letter, and then you go down to the bottom and you read something at the bottom. I don't know if our pew Bibles actually have these or not, so I'm hoping they do, but the NIV generally does. I see people opening their pew Bibles, so I figured I'd mention that. Anyway, a translator note simply means that, look, the words here are a little more complex than what English can say. So here is one possible reading that we generally mostly ascribe to, but here's another possible one too. And that footnote in there will tell you that it could also be read, you shall have no other gods besides me. Now, this may sound no different to you. It does good. I'm glad to see this. our Bibles have footnotes in the pews. This may not sound unusual to you. I mean, what's the difference? No other gods before or no other gods besides me. But that's because we live in the United States in the year 2022. When's the last time you've ever considered that there is another God out there? Anyone? Anyone got up this morning and, and thought, man, I, I haven't thought about Baal for a while. No? Yeah, you don't. That's the world we live in. We, we kind of, you know, most of the world has accepted some form of monotheism at this point. Christianity, of course, Judaism, Islam, all three of them are monotheistic. You know, we... Buddhism's a little weird, but you know the next biggest religion, that's Hinduism. Hinduism at this point is moving towards monotheism itself. We are a monotheistic uh, world at this point for those who believe in gods. But in the ancient world, that was not at all true. Everyone believed that there were multiple gods there were gods who lived in this place and in that place. There's a great story where they are fighting a war against another nation in, in ancient Israel. And they, they attack them and Israel uh, defeats them. And then the enemy goes, well, the reason they won is because they have a god of the mountains. So now we have to fight them on the plains. And it's just the way people thought. And that's the way the ancient Israelites thought. They weren't clearly told at this point that there is only one God. Now, they, they believed in, in what we would call mon, uh, monolateralism or laterism or henotheism. So monolateralism is, is simply that you believe there are many gods, but you only worship one. And henotheism is there are multiple gods, but there is a single great creator god, a main god that we should worship. And then there's lots of sub-gods. They, they, didn't, they didn't have the idea that there really is only a single god. That didn't exist to them. They didn't believe in that. 
It took them time. It wasn't until um, Isaiah, a thousand years later, wrote, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Up until that point, they all believed in multiple gods. Now, before you think that's strange and weird and why would they make that mistake, remember, that's what everyone believed. That's what everyone held to be true. Imagine if tomorrow God sent us a message that said, guess what? You are not my only created sentient beings who I have been in communication with. I have another world on the other side of this galaxy that I have also been uh, talking with. I sent them their own Jesus. And guess what? They're doing a great job. I need you guys to step it up. Now, there will be some people who will just believe it because after all, God just spoke. But how many people would struggle with the idea that maybe we aren't exactly the center of God's creation, that we aren't the pinnacle, that our world isn't the most important of God's? How many people, Christian, non-Christian, those who believe in a creator, those who do not believe in a creator, how many of them will struggle with that concept? God gives us information as we need it. We are on a need-to-no basis, I guess. Anyway. Well, so God gives them just a little bit the first step, to deny worshiping any other God. Do not do that. Center yourself only on me. You know, don't make me the main God of many. Don't make me one of many. Make me the only God you worship. When you set up, and most everyone at this time would have a little, a little worship area in their house, a little, a little temple of sorts, a shrine. And they would have the gods lined up on there. Do not do that. There are no other gods beside me. Remove them. Of course, you're not even supposed to have an idol in the first place, but, you know. Well, of course, this will not become a surprise to any of you who have read any of the Bible. Guess what happens when the Israelites encounter another culture and their God? I'll give you three guesses, and the first two don't count. Yeah, they break the rule. A place called Beor, where they join in the worship of the local version of Baal. Now, we don't know a lot about this event. It happens, and mainly the main part of the story is about the consequences and the rise of one particular branch of the Aaron uh, dynasty to becoming the head priest. Sorry. And this is not the only first time uh, that we see it happening in the Bible, that over and over and over again they begin worshiping other gods. Now, this is not saying, I am worshiping this God and not the Lord. I might have to use the word the Lord here a lot to differentiate because I'm going to say lots of gods. There's. They're not, wor not worshiping the Lord. They're worshiping the Lord God Almighty. But they're also worshiping Baal and Asherah and every other god and goddess in between. You know, they're just adding. They're worshiping gods beside the Lord. 
And this happens again and again throughout Israelite history. There are even times when there are shrines built to other gods in God's temple. It's only after the exile that they become a truly monotheistic people, one that believes in only the Lord, the God, as the only God, something that we now have received from the ancient Jews and our own heritage as well as the Muslims. That's the end of that commandment, right? Because we've entered an age of monotheism, where not only the three Abrahamic religions believe in only one God, but lots of other people do as well. We don't have other gods, so we're doing great, right? Think about it. Are there any other concepts, ideas, objects, people that you ever center your life around to the extent that maybe you could even call it veneration? Do you see people yourself metaphorically or actually bowing down to something or someone other than God? I see it all the time. You know, the easy one to point to, of course, is mammon, money. People bowing down, making money the center of their world. It doesn't help that we live in an economy system that kind of makes us all have to have the stuff to, to exist. Sometimes they're more innocent gods. Things that we have made. You know, the, the gods of, of having a family. The gods of respectability. Other times we allow our anger and our fear to drive us away from God's vision to a world vision that makes us feel better. We worship celebrities. We worship politics. Sorry. You know, that's one I've seen a lot lately. Beginning to worship certain politicians to the point where, frankly, we treat them as if they were the next messiah. People are regularly rejecting God in the way of the kingdom of heaven for an earthly one. That's a lot more, makes us feel better. Our hearts are like solar systems, folks. You can only have one sun in your solar system. One center. Sure, okay, there's such a thing as a binary star system that has two. But guess what? God made those, and we are nowhere near as good as God to make that kind of balance work where two stars can exist next to each other. We can barely make one star work in our own hearts, one center. And once you have, and what you, oh yeah, once you have that center, then you have all the other important things around your life. They should be revolving around that. Your family, your hobbies, your politics, your daily walk should revolve around a single center, and that is God. When you try to stick another one in there, it throws everything out of balance. And just as Jesus warned us, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. When you create, take these human-created gods and you stick them next to the Lord as if they are a near or perfect equal, inevitably the two will, will throw you off balance. Inevitably, one of them becomes the center. And too often, the one that's at the center is not God anymore. 
then you will come to despise the way of God, the way of Jesus. You will ignore the movements of the Spirit. Because the ways of earthly gods, the ways that of the things that we create and worship are, of course, more reflective of the shadowed, dark places in our hearts, the ones that need to feel comforted by them. They are all about, what's pro about protecting us from the things that we perceive as evil or frightening. They are all about lifting us up as being special. Don't do that. Don't. Center alone on God. It's so easy to break this commandment. I know I probably have. I can't like sit up here and go, I know I definitely did on this date or that, but I'm sure there are times where the decision I have made was not based on my alignment with God, but based on my worries or my concerns about those things other than God that I have found myself worshiping. We've all done it. It's just a little sneakier nowadays because it's not like you have some idols set up in your home. It's not like you're going to visit the temple of Athena. No. It's the little things you do every day, the choices you make. Think about that. Think about how... I, I, Think about how you are coming to the decisions that you make. Think about, think about whether this is a good God-aligned decision or one that just makes you feel good because you're scared. Because you're scared to let God really be the center. Because that's the most frightening thing about a journey towards God is a journey towards God. This idea of giving up your heart, soul, mind, and Jesus will add strength to God, is that you are no longer in control. God's going to give us 10 ways, 10 ways we can align our lives so that we are centered on him. This first one is pretty, pretty simple. Keep me in the middle. Don't add any distractions. Thus saith the Lord. I don't know if I'm on. There we are. Good old classic hymn. So I wanted to do a series where we took a little time to really dive into Torah a little bit. And I really love the Ten Commandments because they center, I mean, they're there. Jesus centers his ministry and many ways on them. He will take these commandments and he will transform them into even more wonderful and extreme versions of themselves. So I wanted to take some time to talk about them. But the first one, Jesus doesn't actually talk about. 
because at that point, everyone knew to make God center their lives, even if they weren't doing it. And so Jesus told them how to. It's a struggle for every one of us. So as you go out there today, actually, no, we're going to go downstairs next. I invite you to think about that when you're making decisions. So you're choosing words to say to people. To just doing everyday living. To keep God right at the middle.